Hello. Um, head floss. Good evening. Good evening. We had beautiful weather here today. Man, we had beautiful weather. Oh, that's great. Were there any um, artificial man-made clouds? You know, I didn't pay close attention to that. I did see a lot of blue sky. I think I was trying to focus on the blueness of the sky I did see. Yeah. Rather than to focus on kind of the ambiguous, misty, whatever else was up there. I didn't try to ignore it today, I guess. If it didn't jump out at you, maybe you had natural clouds today. You never know. Yeah, sometimes I pay closer attention to it in other days. I'm not sure. Well, sometimes it's in your face, you know, like... Oh, yeah. (laughs) You can't... Oh, there's the airplane going by, and now there's a big cloud. We, We don't need to talk about what that all means but it's water vapor i i haven't i haven't measured it i haven't taken samples so sure why not i keep wondering why the water vapor that i watch when i do pay attention falls down and spreads out i don't i've never that's the one that really baffles me so this is on topic a bit today we're going to be talking about yeah (laughs) today we'll be talking about looking at the sky this, yeah. this is Clues Chronicle issue 19. Uh, we actually previously recorded, Rochelle and I, an entire talk about internet signals uh, in Australia, and we were uncovering a network of kind of shady corporations that are running the, the internet satellite companies. But we can talk about that maybe another time. Because uh, I lost the recording. <laughs> I probably just didn't hit the button that says, yes, record, or I did it wrong in some way. So anyway, we don't have that conversation at all, unless Rochelle got it, which would be great. But so anyway, we're doing this funny thing where we've already recorded all the talk for episode 20, and now we're going back to episode 19 to to do a part three on the satellite topic and hopefully leave people in a good place with that. Sure, I'm I'm game for that. You bet. Okay, thank you, Head Floss slash Dad. Um, <laughs> I'm your host, Hoy, and Kay is sitting out this one as well, and she won't be in episode 20 either. We're building up some research for the Ebola program, which will be episode 21. We talk about some of the weird, hoaxy, dubious elements of the Ebola scares that were happening in recent years past. But let's get on topic right away, because people have been probably listening to these satellite discussions now, and and you have too, haven't you? I've listened to both fully at least once. Yep. And- and I think people are getting kind of maybe tired of the topic. I'm not sure how you're feeling about it. I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. Partly my frustration with it is that I haven't gone out of the city. I live in a um, I live in an urban setting, and I don't get night skies like I like like I used to. I used to view night skies. Yeah. In fact, when I was a kid, I had access to a really nice reflecting telescope 
at yes. a, a seminary and we we did a lot of viewing but i've it's been a long time since i've been had those that context and i'm frustrated because i'm puzzled right now and i'm trying to think about this in the way that it's been discussed and i'm i'm so i'm feeling overwhelmed by that well let me Stop. let me help maybe I, I think i have a way of putting this into a better context for you uh-huh. a, 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 that might make you more comfortable uh-huh. tell me if i'm wrong if i start making you uncomfortable okay oh okay we recently got an email from someone who wanted to be anonymous and they wanted to explain some of the issues that we were discussing in episode 18 the about thermodynamics and things that would be considered official explanations for the technology that is demonstrated through public relations videos about the technology, like i.e. satellites and the Apollo missions and other things that have very dubious footage associated with them. And I wasn't quite sure how to respond, so I sent something that I thought was fairly polite, at least as polite as they sent me, saying, look, here's why we're discussing it, first of all. The footage is fake. That's our... That's our primary concern. So satellites could be real, and space travel could be real. That is absolutely a possibility in my mind, as long as as long as we are talking openly about all the science available. But the reason we discuss other possibilities is because those are so apparent in our mainstream culture, and what is not being discussed and what people actively avoid discussing is the fact that the footage is fake. Okay? I'll just put it that simple. The imagery of things floating around the Earth, you know, what they call orbiting or uh, rocketing up into so-called space, we've found that these are composite and computer-generated and doctored imagery and they are publicized and released by the media and by NASA and ESA and other aerospace military programs around the world as legitimate raw footage. And they say, yeah, we we just slapped a camera on our device and here's what we got. They don't discuss how it was obviously, through forensic evidence, really created in a video laboratory. Now, you could say that the footage is real at some point and they doctored it to hell and turned it into this stuff, which is fake. But if that's the case, they never explain why that is. And so the obvious explanation to us becomes, well, they're going through the trouble of faking it because it's easier than actually sending things into space. Does that help you understand why we discuss this possibility? Well, put put that way, it goes back to, I think, why you'd select any topic that you select. Yeah, we focus on media fakery. We look at, yeah. we look at the problem that people have with understanding the difference between reality and fiction. Yeah, and there are, I think it, there's also, there's a rhetorical kind of approach it's not just text, it's also a, it's video, imagery, rhetoric, 
and ways of making arguments to disrupt, I think. And you, I, it, it I sounds like you're calling us trolls. <laughs> um, that's not the way I, that's not the way I feel about trolls. Oh, what's a troll to you? Well, I think did, okay, so then we can talk about the, the, the idea of Hank getting hung up to the first part of the 18th episode was head flosses being hung up on, um, it might have been race or culture. And so what I was trying, I was trying to get clarity on what you mean by hung up. Um, but a troll, gosh, there's so many different kinds, aren't there? I want to go back to the word disrupt because I used that intentionally. I think that disrupting is a good thing. I value disruption in a good way in the way that I was trying to put it. Okay, that sounds nice. Uh, could I swap you a definition? Give me a definition for troll and I'll give you my definition for hung up. Oh. Oh, troll. Um, well, I, I put a lot of negative value on the, on the action of trolling. I just, I, I feel like trolls are, they are, uh, just to be kind of, uh, just rude, just for rude, almost for rude, rudeness sake. I see, I see. And I just don't, you know, that's, I don't know if that's something we need. Just like I'm not sure we need devil's advocates. I don't know that any devil needs an advocate, you know, things like that. I don't understand why, I don't understand people playing that role, taking that role. Um, That's a good question. That's a whole philosophical question we might have to go into. That's what I tend to do is, you know, I get hung up and spin out into philosophical. Oh, you just used it. You just used it. How do you use hung up? I'm I'm playing with it now with you. Okay. Because I, because you used it like four or five times in that episode and I was wondering, what do they mean by that? Well, then let's go into it now a little bit if you'd like, although I fear people are a bit exhausted by the topic, but maybe culture. Oh. But let me, let me give you what you asked for, which is my definition of hung up. I think everyone comes with hangups and it has to do with not being able to get into the spirit of a conversation because, um, they're focused on some pet topic which drives their greater interests. And it could be just for the moment or something that's like an ongoing life thing. Like I, I think I'm hung up on the discussion of love and fear and uh, people getting along with each other and let's all work together. And that would be my hang up to a lot of people in the Clues Forum, uh, what you would call a community and what, what I might call um, the people who browse Clues Forum and, you know, come and go from the Clues Forum discussion. Oh, uh-huh. Because... Yeah. My, because my focus is on uh, let's do something about this together. And it seems that when people are kind of like humoring me, they'll go, yeah, hoy, good on you. Let's do something. But privately, they're kind of like, when can we stop talking about doing shit and just abandon abandon ship? Because this shit isn't working, you know, or, or there's another attitude that kind of appears, which is resistance to uh 
formally organizing anything. I think it's because of the recalcitrant or okay, maybe that's a strong word. There there's a there's a kind of personality that keeps appearing in people that get this far in their skepticism. And it might ha- and it might be a little bit of uncooperative or stubborn behavior, which I'd say is very good and healthy. Um, but then I think also, man, cooperation is such a powerful tool as well. Is there not some way we can just organize in a fun way, not in an unfun way, and not in a way that requires the annoying habits of our artificial so-called government and and do something effective you know i i've talked about writing letters and stuff and i and i wrote a few of those and so i would say that's kind of my hang up and so your hang up was something that i couldn't understand right it was something about culture something about where do we come from and so i thought oh headfloss can't get into this conversation because he's kind of distracted by something yeah you're right and you're right so you're right on the first First of all, I like your hang-up, by the way. Thanks. So uh, I get hung up on that, too, because I think when we look at meaning and purpose and we look at ontology and uh, trying to make meaning of all this, I think we're in the process, and and I think we're in the process. I think you and I agree that we want to be in a movement that we both uh, have matched values to to make real effective change in the world or within ourselves and within the circles that we have um, the ability to affect good positive change. In. Yes. So I think, you know, yes. I, and I am so sure. sorry, but I, you're, you're getting me all excited and now I have to mention this. Uh-huh. It's not as if people who are a part of clues form are all layabouts. Some of them, that. some of them have given me amazing stories of what they've accomplished yeah. in organizing and, and, it's just inspiring in so many ways yeah. that that I think, why would you not bring this understanding into what you're doing with, with all that? Um, and so anyway, sorry, you just, well, I, I yeah, just that's a that good feeling. Up. I remember that's that good, feeling. Yeah, that's a good. So I go along with that hang up. But this, the but clues forum might be, I mean, I'm just, I'm not. I have to I have to enter into the community in a more serious way because I think there's a lot under the umbrella in the community. I think it's a vast and varied community and it also there'll be as many um emotions in there as probably are possible. So some days people might want to just lament or or be frustrated and have a community where that's okay. And to be angry, you know, and, and that's all right. And, and to use the anger in a way that we can direct it in a positive way becomes our challenge, I think. But sometimes we just need to blow off steam, you know, so. Well, okay. Just don't blow it at me, please. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, if you direct it through a really small hole, it can pitch way high and cause serious damage, right? Someone accused me of doing that with my emotions once. That I that something about my intellect channeled everything out of a little hole, and it wasn't like like it was very very concentrated. I I swear that they were not on drugs when they said this, but it would 
<laughs> kind of made sense to me at the time. Anyway, so a really, really high pitched whistle that can break your eardrum, kind of thing. Huh? I hope not. <laughs> and then maybe have we gone so high pitched that we're a dog whistle now, and that's why nobody understands what we're talking about. I don't know. That's a really good point. I and that's an amazing metaphor. I didn't really, you know, that's an that was a kind of a new one on me. There's good literature out there on what that's about. <clears throat> I share your frustration in wanting to observe the the heavens because here's the thing, like what it comes down to for me is, I just want to know what it is, and if I had access to one of those big old telescopes, that's exactly what I'd be doing. I wouldn't just be sitting here being an armchair critic, you know. But that's not what our podcast is about. It is mostly about helping people appreciate media, media fakery and the possibilities about why it may be, okay? Yet, at the same time, man, it just inspires me in all these different directions because it, when you realize you don't know something, it makes, at least for me, it, it doesn't make me scared or overwhelmed or feel unsteady. It makes me so inspired. It makes me go, wow, I want to just dive into that wealth of knowledge and knowing that I might come out soaked in nothing, you know, and have n and be no better off than when I first got inspired and dove in there. And when I say that, I am talking, I'm also alluding to this idea of, yeah, like you and I, let's go out and yeah. get some evidence and look at it together and say, what is that? And can we align this with the official data that says, you know, this particular thing is going by at this time and yeah, let's plan on that. You're going to be around. We'll be together here before too long. Let's yeah. Let's make a point. Let's make a point of going and finding a clear spot away from the city. Yes, at last. <clears throat> That'll be fun because a movement, uh, a movement of two people. Yeah, let's do that because I I'm you blew me away in the last two episodes and I've been frustrated and, I, and haven't gone out uh to take a look because it was so jarring. Because as long as I can recall looking at the sky, I've been under the influence of the narrative that there are things in space, outer space, as defined by, you know, above a certain, uh, oh, above the atmosphere, I'll right, say. Right, right, above okay. the atmosphere. <clears throat> above the atmosphere of the Earth. <clears throat> so I really want to, I, at first I was like, frustrated well it's a cognitive dissonance thing going gosh they did it again you know oh dang dang they disrupted my uh my my world of uh understanding again and uh so i'm so sorry well it was you know it's it's it can be jarring and uncomfortable so and I am so sorry about that. I, I mean no harm to anyone trying to come to terms with why people like us exist. It, we just want to exist. We don't want to hurt anyone. I don't feel like it was. I was trolled. If that's what you're worried about, it wasn't. It's not that. And the disruption, I think, is very good. And I'll go back to the race issue and white frame because that's related topic. And I, I think. A whole another episode or series of episodes might be on that. Although I understand that it's very difficult for people to approach that. Okay, wait. So now I'm starting to understand your hang up a little. You're talking a bit about 
frames. Yes, but but see, we talk about frames too. Yeah. But we but there are uh, uh, like as many frames as there are people, you know, to the power of the number of people that there are. Again, it's yeah. it's just there's so many. There's in it seems there's infinite frames, and we don't always talk about some that are very glaring. Yeah. To some cultures, because perhaps we're in a mode that, you know, is so stuck in that frame that we can't get out of it. And it, I heard you mention white frame, and I think what you're talking about is that that cultural whiteness yeah. that's sort of put on people of pale color, and and we're told that oh you're white, and here's the things that you get, and here's the things that you do. And here's the things that you think because you're white. And I'm studying it now. And Fagan is the is the book that I'm that we were using. I just did. That's not Donald Fagan of um, Fagan, Steely no. Dan, right? <laughs> well, I don't know if he. I don't know if he wrote about it, but uh, it'd be pretty cool if he did. He was pretty hip, but I don't know. He strikes me as being pretty white frame. But um. <laughs> uh, Anyway, Fagan. So I just, I was, it's a hot topic for me right now because I just was getting off of 10 weeks of four hours a Saturday. So that's 40 hours of classroom and we had 100 hours, I'm sure, of reading outside. So I just got off 140 hours of study. Well, then I think people have to turn the question on you on and say, what what's the culture that you're in that this is coming from that is that is saying white frame is a thing and that we should be educated about it. You know what? North America. I'll say North American culture. Ah, got it. Because it was an invention. It was an invention by, it was an invention by the North Americans at the time of the doctrine of discovery began it. And then it really took hold after, after the triangle trade and it was necessary and it continues to this day, and now it's a big export to the rest of the world. Now that there's this hegemony in North America, and sure, you guys talked about empire and imperialism. Well, that's that's a part of it, you know. And it's and white racial frame comes with uh, white supremacy, and so that's a huge topic here in North America right now, obviously. Well, to me, it sounds like it. Yeah, I see why you're so saying we don't have to do that. Comes, I know, I know, but at the same time, you just brought it up, and I need a way of like contextualizing it here. When we talked about empire and we talked about culture, it was, I think, a bit about a kind of it, – it, it's almost a character. It's almost a – because you can take on the culture and be a person that is in that for a little while, even on a surface level. White frame, which in my imagination is – all sorts of things, but especially um, belittling people that don't belong, that it believes don't belong in it, and and wanting to absorb it. And that is a similar character to Empire. I mean, you say that Empire is a part of it, but I'd say White Frame is a part of Empire, too. They're a part of each other. They feed each other in some way. Yeah. Yeah, the... the, the Empire of the United States of America is full on white frame. And North America is also a discussion because, I mean, okay, let's, the name, 
if it really is from, as we're told, Amerigo Vespucci, the pickle salesman from Italy or whatever, um, if that's like a real thing, then even our names and terminology are kind of funky about this. It's kind of like a, it's kind of hoaxy. It has this a similar flavor to this like um, a dark humor, a very very dark humor, and yeah. that's not meant as a as a like racial dark or light. Oh, it's right. meant as a um, like gallows know, humor. Gallows humor, yes. There are people who lived on North America as they live today for a long time before the white frame appeared here. Yep. So, so the discussion of what this thing is seems to come from a, a clash of cultures as well as an expression of existing culture. Yeah, it's a it's a full on critique of it. And here's the thing, like, boy, when when I talk about some of these things, I'm I'm told I'm being very leftist or liberal or something or, or some kind of so i'm being influenced by some kind of school of thought and so in the case that's true here let's talk about what is this what can you talk a bit more about this school of thought that you're that you are hung up on well i don't have to be hung up on it if we want to talk about satellites using your definition of hung up um i think this critique is similar to the critiques that you have of um, any tools of influence or manipulation of societies or cultures. So did you respond well to Kay and I saying that we want to help people get to their authentic culture? And I liked all that. Okay. Lot. Okay, good. Well, then, and then I think we, we I think you even brought up the term home culture, which is mm. part of the current literature. Oh, I had no idea. See, I, I like to be inventive with language, and sometimes it just accidentally crosses over with what people are already doing. Yeah, I think it's very intuitive that we would have home cultures. You know, and then what is that? And then there, when we're multicultural, there's multi-frames. So I see, that, I see. It's good, it's good if we can begin to look at our multi-frameness. Well, I just I wanted to engage you and other people without having these hang-ups, which are also very, very interesting to me, become distracting to the conversation. And so one one way I was trying to do that was to address it in the last episode and try to go, well, this is, I believe this is part of the conversation about what we're talking about. So moving on, because it seems that we're in accordance on some level in that area, satellites are a really big part of our mainstream culture. It doesn't seem like it at first, but there's a lot of things that are credited to satellites. Yeah, it's a for, yeah, it's a layer that I had taken for granted as being just there and taken it uncritically. So there, that's why I said you disrupted my free and easy sense of taking satellite networks as, you know, an uncritical kind of fact of life. Yeah. That's what, that's what you guys do. You can't help it. I mean, that's what you're about, I think, isn't it? Is to try to help us. I, I'm going to just go back to why, why I love the work as art, 
arts artists and art critics too, which I uh, appreciate. Um, that you you're critical of the artistry of illusion, <laughs> and you know, and I think you tr- you know for a big part of your work does try to keep f- flat in values and keep the bias one where we're just trying to make straight observations, just straight up observations. Yeah. I think that maybe the thing that we don't get to explore about culture is that we are trying to, I mean, gosh, this is getting so heady so quickly, but that's, this happens with you and me. Um, the, it's the conversation is supposed to be real for people. Yeah. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be, we don't want to get too academic because if we get too academic, which is kind of like also associated with PC, politically correct, um, social justice worker culture, which I have things about that that I admire. But there are there's a kind of a, a dryness, a, a, a lack of feeling, a lack of realness to that, that I we could go there. We can try that. But I mean, we're also just people talking about this because we're genuinely interested in it. And, yeah. and so, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not trying to make, we can't, po- we don't have the money, we don't have anything like the propaganda network has to combat us. We just have ourselves and <laughs> we're, I think maybe under the unspoken assumption that perhaps that's powerful enough. I think so too. We're not academics. I'm not, because I'm not in the academy. If anything, I'm a failed academic. I might be a frustrated failed academic. Maybe that's, but I'm not an academic because I'm not in the academy. I'm not credentialed that way, but I'm an intellect. And I think that we share that. We use our intellect. We use our intelligence. And we might throw around some academic phrases because we picked them up and found them as useful metaphors for ourselves. Well, I have friends, too, who are very academic, and they school me on terminology, which uh, when I when I use back on other academics, they sometimes mistakenly think that I am not educated in the mainstream language. And they say, oh, well, the reason you don't understand thermodynamics is because you haven't really studied it close enough. And I would say back to them, no, I think I I can understand what you're talking about. The problem is the abstraction of that into your faith in a bogus video. <laughs> well, we, it would be fun to unpack what you just said because there's a lot in there. Absolutely. Because it, it, we're all using metaphors. And then I'm not a part of that faith system the same way that an academic studying rocket science would be. I've never, I'm not, I'm not in that area. I'm not, that's not my 
that's not my study. It's not the language I necessarily use. Those aren't the metaphors that I'm familiar with, and it's not my bailiwick. And along with all that, uh, come, like you say, there's a certain faith in it, and um, it's it's provincial. I mean, it's very, it's not the vernacular. It's not street talk, because I think that's what you do a lot with the work, with the video work and the TV fakery, as you you point the, our attention, the, an audience, to the attention of something that is apart from us, but we can all focus on that and have our individual point of view focused on something. Yes. Okay. That's exactly that's, that's, it. That's a point of view and making observations on what we hope will be common. Now, m- some of us might have, you know, the way our rods and cones pick things up that's different from one to the other, but a, a lot of the things will be similar, outlines and such, you know. But it's also a, a range. You know, some of us never felt attached to, you know, some of these things. And so it, it's not just, it, this podcast is not just for people who are, you know, being th- thrown out of whack. It's actually for people who also feel like maybe they never belonged to the, this, these stories. They never had any attachment to them. Or, like, like sometimes I observe you as someone who is in circles of people who are very attached to imperial mindsets and you can talk with them on a very human level but they don't quite understand you they don't quite understand how how compassionate you are by considering their point of view they might be thinking that that you you know would defend their thinking as fast as they would what i'm trying to get at is you know, this like in the satellite matter, it's not always such a big disruption for some for some of us. For some of us, it's actually kind of like, oh, I've always had a, a few doubts about that. <laughs> it, it's more of an awake. It's 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 not necessarily like consolation and negotiating this complicated path. Sometimes it's just like, oh, of course, yes, that makes sense. You know, that's how some of the responses have been. Oh. I found myself wanting to defend it and going, gosh darn it, you know, I wish they wouldn't do that. Okay. I didn't say it, I didn't say it in such opie terms either. No, it's cool. I, I feel you. I, I was that way with, when, when Simon first introduced to me the concept that the moon landing was a hoax, I was pretty open as I am to various ideas. But it didn't click for me like, oh, of course, that makes so much sense. It, it was kind of like, hmm, that's what we're studying now. Okay, yeah, I guess it is our responsibility to look at it that way. You know, that's that's kind of what my thinking was, was, oh, shoot. We've already proven beyond a doubt that our perspective in analyzing video is important to understanding whether that video is legitimate. And I was, yeah. it's such a powerful tool it is. that it's scary. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you could turn this on anything. And if you turn it on Hollywood, it's like soft targets. It's like, oh yeah, we're fake. We're fake anyway. You can analyze us. It's cool. We're all actors here. 
we're all actors. We got directors. We got scripts. We got, you know, producers. <laughs> we have fakery technology we've been using for years. You know, we're always experimenting with new people who have new ideas on how to fake things. It's just, but if you turn it to, turn that exact same analysis to any TV program, like, oh, let's say we're watching History Channel, National Geographic, or the news, suddenly it's like, oh, no, 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 they're not saying they're fake, so you, you can't consider that they're fake that those things are like you know everything actively states exactly what it is it's on the box it says it on the label this label says i am fake this label says i am real that's how you read the world huh oh wow well what comes to mind now is just how uh dreamlike the images are when we look at them on the devices and on the screens anywhere and dream those dreamlike images, most of us are drawn into that kind of thing. They're not all nightmares. I mean, it's oh. really, it's really. I think oh. it's really attractive. You know. Wow, you've hit on something for me. Yes. You know, we look at that, we go, "Wow, I get a lot of my information in my dream life that is kind of like this," and it's okay if it doesn't, if it doesn't necessarily match. Reality, because reality is kind of, it's phenomenology, I think, is what it is, to borrow a wonky philosophical term. Oh my god, but you've totally hit on something that I have never understood. And just now, I'm getting it. There's something of a nightmarish quality to TV and movies for me. There always has been. There's always been a hint of this is disturbing. It's disturbing to my psychology. I oh, don't. You you got a critical, so it triggers a some kind of a critical thing in you. Yes. Oh my gosh. The way you said it was perfect. Some sometimes dreams draw me in, but television and movies have never done that. They don't have the power that real dreams have for me. And what you've just made me realize, thank you for making me realize this, is that that has been an important value that I never really knew I had. I love my dreams. I love my the world that I see. And the more I explore it through others and through their genuine connection to those things, the more I fall in love with creation. But TV and movies kind of have the opposite repulsive effect to me. It's artificial. Yeah. In fact, it sometimes seems a bit, I don't know how to put it, like you said, just nightmarish, the kind where you're just kind of like, this is an illusion I shouldn't be entertaining because it is unhealthy for me. It's toxic to me. And... That is also the way I connect with people. I connect much closer to people who, who want to discuss with me their reality. And if they try to discuss with me the movies and TV and things like that that they like, I start going, mm, no, that's, no, that's nightmare stuff. I don't want to. <laughs> that's so interesting. It is interesting. 
yes, that's it. There some people there's a and maybe for you there is a kind of pleasant daydream aspect to some of it, to some of it. And it and it draws you in and it makes you go um this is giving me valuable information about the world I live in. There was a time when I hit a certain level of my meditation and it had a huge impact on on me. It was a kind of, I don't know what enlightenment is. I really don't know what that is. But I, I had a certain experience in a meditation session that I'd had. And then there were a few, a few times that I would go to this place in my meditation. And for a while then... I could, I would go into a movie theater, which I, I like movies, but at the time it spoiled movies for me. I went in and I said, wow, I can never look at movies again because it's not, I can't, I don't have the, I think it's sometimes called aesthetic distance, something of disbelief. The, there's a, the willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah. The willing suspension of disbelief had gone away. <laughs> it was unwilling. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's maybe you've just you always have that. Now I've gone back to being able to watch movies and enjoy them and just uh but I'll tell you like Avatar that movie bugged me like crazy. I still I mean I got really into that one, but then then they went back to the violence at the end of the movie. I thought they did such a good job of disrupting the dominant um, frame with that. And then they went back in the end, they went back to violence as the, as the restorative balm that, you know, that the, the thing had to resolve in this big shoot 'em up at the end. I was really disappointed by that. Um, I think that movie was disappointing to a lot of people in many different ways. Well, there was so it was very dreamlike in a lot of ways. But but in your case, what you're saying is you can't get into that suspension of disbelief. There's not an aesthetic distance far enough for for you to to give over to it. I, I'm sensing. I suppose that might be true, which is weird because as an artist who likes to make abstract things i i am maybe maybe this is like a karmic thing like <laughs> no one really wants to read or watch my things because i am not i don't know either look <laughs> satellites you want to do satellites let's go back to satellites this is depressing so when you're when we're together and we're sharing the same air and space <laughs> <laughs> we're close. We get we're so close we get we could touch each one another. Let's you know, we'll get in a pod and we'll drive out. Okay. Of we're using city. our imaginations after all, right? Okay. So <laughs> look, we'll lie on our backs or whatever depending on the temperatures and we'll look up and we'll see the night skies and we'll explore together side by side. I bet we can get others to join us. That'd be so fun. And fun. Can, can we find someone with a telescope? Yeah, let's figure that out. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Now that that's settled. So that's going to be a part four someday. <laughs> but 
just use your imagination now with me. Yeah. And let's explore what's supposed to happen to, to with satellites, right? Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. So you'll model a little bit this play. Huh? Yes, this is a game. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm prepared. So supposedly, let's say we have this shuttle, right? And it's launching from Cape Canaveral or, or Cape Carnival or whatever, <laughs> right? Whatever it's called. Right. P.T. Yep. Barnum has just gotten his his expensive shuttle craft. Yeah. And they strap a huge tower of fuel to this little thing, and they fasten it with this little bolt. So that it, it's not too hard to detach from this enormous vibrating phallic thing <laughs> blasting off, you know, into outer space. And how this works is they have this amazingly efficient fuel which explodes beautifully in the atmosphere at one atmosphere's pressure or maybe a little more, a little less. I'm not sure what florida's doing you know in terms of that and the thing slowly rises as if gaining acceleration is uh, a very slow process for this enormous explosion they clear the area of course and make sure everyone is far away so that not so that they can't see that it's just curving back into the atmosphere but so that they can uh, be safe from the tremendous noise and the effects and everything. Meanwhile, all the NASA employees are dutifully staring at their computers because if you look out the window, you're breaking some traditional magic spell. Or let's say, let's put it this way. You're not paying attention to the computers because the computers know, okay? The computers are the authority. So they're paying attention. They are making phone calls. They're pressing keyboard keys they're moving their mice the the computers are blinking you know yes they are doing their duty so hard <laughs> they're sweating they're really nervous because even though they've done it before they know any little thing could go wrong and it could just explode those Wait. o-rings those o-rings give way oh yeah foam you know a little tile you name it and it could just throw half a billion dollars down the drain. Not to mention the brand new satellite technology, which they have stored on there. That's the important part, too. Um, so it slowly gains speed. It doesn't rocket off like, you know, the Estes rockets that just go Pow! like a gun firing. No, this thing slowly crawls into the air, maintaining its balance and its poise as it. How does it do that? It's magic. It's it's an amazing it it's, it's an FM. <laughs> What's that? Fucking magic. Oh, okay. <laughs> FM. So this thing is rising slowly into the air. Yeah. And as it gains speed, it starts to approach the velocity of a jet. And then it goes beyond that. And you need this really fast speed to escape the atmosphere because not only is there a, a huge amount of um, air that you're pushing through that's heating up everything 
um, even hotter than the exploding amazing fuel is doing. But as the atmosphere thins, the functions of the nozzles actually change, also using FM technology. <laughs> and the they actually focus the the explosions more and more, even though the atmosphere would normally be dictating that the explosions get more spread out and weaker and weaker and weaker. No, this, this rocket actually gets more powerful and maintains a perfect stream of energy, not too fast, not too slow, to get beyond the atmosphere, which is, I don't know, let's say it's a hundred miles up or 100 kilometers, somewhere in there. Now, all the details the NASA adherents can, you know, lecture me about later. But <laughs> they, we, we, we pass the atmosphere now, and to get rid of some of the weight so that this thing becomes really light, we actually start dropping pieces of this heavy thing. And, and that also kind of lets the thing fly up into this non-atmosphere atmosphere thing and somehow dropping those things makes all this work even better it doesn't it doesn't you know collide with anything it burns up or maybe it lands in the ocean then this thing slowly rotates in such a way as it's you know leaning back and the rotation turns into an orbit that is it it is rotating its orientation so that it's not no longer going straight up it actually turns and kind of leans back like what do they call that the the backstroke like a, a backstroking you know creature leaning back to coast on its back across the surface of the atmosphere and after it maintains the perfect uh, course using the FM fuel technology, mm -hmm. which n now should be so unfocused and blasting all over the place because of no pressure, um, and it won't be getting any more thrust from the atmosphere, which, if you imagine a plume uh, s basically creating a stack of molecules that are so that are so uh, intensely charged that they're able to lift up this incredibly heavy contraption. Now the nozzle has changed again in such a way, maybe it's just changed further from the way it starts anyway. And now it functions as thrust through the vacuum. Uh, it no longer needs to push against anything. It simply shoots little kind of uh, air pressure things and adjusts itself accordingly. And then once it's whipping around, you know, the atmosphere or above the atmosphere and it's, you know, beyond the cloud layer, uh, the people who have observed it can go home because now they're supposed to be tuning into the television, which can show them the rest. That is kind of how these things get up there. And, if, and there's some thing where you know this bay opens up the satellite is lifted out and sort of placed there and then there's a perfect release which the satellite can correct for in case there's some kind of 
mistake or problem there. And then the satellite is also using its own form of thrust to sort of correct itself and, you know, fly around, adjust, go to the proper layer, or even launch off even further into outer space to go to its assigned coordinates thanks to the um, the telegraph union, which still runs, as we learned last episode, the coordinates that are assigned to each satellite. And now these things either continue to orbit at that speed or they decide to slow down and go geosynchronous. In other words, somehow they they simply stop and hover and without falling and without the whatever 90% of gravity that's supposedly still there affecting them, they simply resist. And it's not really clear if that's because they are so far away that they can just continually fall for miles and then readjust or if they're letting out a constant stream of thrust to stay in position or if the or if something else magical has happened so that gravity is completely negated where they are and that's where those satellites stay and the rocket goes home Everything lands safely, you know, it doesn't burn up, the thing is up there, we communicate with it, those very serious people in the control room are clapping and cheering because they've launched this billion dollar project, even though they do it every day, or at least every other day on average. Um, but it's always stressful and it's always a big drama. And largely because they're spending billions of the taxpayers' dollars, or maybe that's not even thought of. You know, it's more about a mission to the stars. And now this thing is up there, and all this work is so that it can bounce a signal just like the ionosphere. So now we send antenna signals, and we bounce them off airplanes, antennas, we we send them to stations which relay the information. In other words, they take the signal, clean it, and or um, re resend a fresh version, and maybe attach it to an undersea cable, which is, uh, you know, sending information so quick, and you don't need any of the bouncing at all. And all that is going on. But now you also have this extremely expensive, sensitive technology flying around in outer space with things traveling faster than bullets, all with the possibility of colliding with each other, shorting out, just not working, falling back to Earth, falling back to Earth, running out of fuel, or any number of things that could go terribly wrong with it. Um, and it, it, what it will do is it will, if you send a signal there, uh, let's say between a few hundred and thousand miles, it will do the same thing that an antenna relay will do. It'll take the signal, it'll clarify it, and send another signal back. And it essentially is like bouncing. And it, that's, that's why they have those dishes, because the dish is meant to take the, thing and send it back down right so all this is supposed to happen for a while and then the satellites get old and they fall apart and all the stuff burns up and you know it's all right we just send up another one that's equally expensive and equally complex and 
Is that kind of how we understand satellites to work? Apparently so. After I've discovered that all these other things are doing what satellites are supposedly doing, the atmosphere, the ionosphere, antennas that are placed all over and are increasing in number every day, subterranean cables that are constantly growing and expanding, I thought, why don't we hear the sensational new opening of a subterranean cable line? Why don't we hear about the amazing scientific accomplishment of a series of antenna relays that that send a signal from boat to boat to island to island? Um, why don't we? Why do we only ever hear about these satellite things, which, uh, for all intents and purposes, seem redundant? I don't know. I went. I just was unquestioning it until episode seventeen and eighteen. It kind of makes sense, you know, if you don't have to imagine how it all works. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I now I'm not entirely ruined. I can still go back to taking it for granted, or I can look into it. What does a, how does a satellite work? What does it do? What was your you yeah, know, yeah. layman? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I didn't. You know, why did why did I have to know? I mean, it wasn't. I just took it unquestioningly. It didn't. It didn't trouble me that it worked or it didn't work. I guess you know. Right. But now you're throwing out these numbers. I mean, I think what was the number? Three thousand. Apparently, there's between like seventeen thousand and some other number. Let's say it's three thousand because I think that's sure. the number you landed on, right? Let's go with it. <clears throat> um, what was the math on that? We've been so. I think you said 1950. Let's use that as a date. We're launching one every other day or so, right? Something like that, right? Yeah. It doesn't seem likely now. If we spend a billion dollars every two yeah. days... Yeah, how is that? How, who's doing that? I mean... Two billion dollars. Let's say we're spending two billion dollars a week. The numbers don't work out right away. That means we're spending two right? billion... Times, yeah, no, a hundred... Immediately, immediately it became, oh my gosh, the numbers don't work out. How does that even work? A hundred billion a year? A hundred billion a year. Just that simple math kind of yeah. blew me out of the story. Satellites for weather, there are only three. They do a lousy job anyway because they hardly are able to guess it. I thought radar did pretty good, and that's kind of funky. Most people go outside and check out what's going on with the weather. Yeah, I mean, how did we start our conversation? It was like, well, I went out, and there were clouds, and there was blue sky. <laughs> yeah. And I could yeah. see that with my eyes. And if you're not, you know, if you if you have any amount of natural abilities, you haven't suppressed it completely, you can kind of tell when it's going to, you know, when there's going to be a weather event. Although there are those interesting stories about how animals behave when there's a tidal wave and stuff. I mean, there's certain clues. It's too bad that we have to rely on technology because it seems like naturally humans have incredible capabilities but we're getting distracted by all this other crap well that's what that's been my wondering lately and i don't know how i'm gonna address this hang-up and continue to do clues chronicle but lately my hang-up has been wow we're we're we've been really disconnected from the natural world yeah and it's on purpose yeah it seems like it's on purpose all these are all these are kind of lousy mimicry of what's really available for human beings, I think. And it puts money in the pockets of people. 
not me. Yeah. So I get kind of crabby about it in a hurry. Well, it's funny because let's say the annual budget is, you know, $20 million for NASA, which is what, you know, it was out of the supposedly, you know, $4 trillion budget of the country. Then that means you've only got a fifth of the launches that they that would be necessary to get all these things up there. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're spitting them out. Like, they get up there, they drop 10 satellites. There are a lot of other nations, apparently, in the business of putting up stuff in space. But do you really think all of them combined would even come close to the, the United States? I don't know. You guys have got me now wondering about it. Where before, it was just out there as a sort of a given. Let's look at the budget of the ESA. It, with only 5.75 billion euros, let's be generous and say that's 10 billion dollars. ESA is what the European Space Administration or something. That's in English. What what the language? Agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What well, lang- it would well, it would be French most likely or uh-huh. German or actually Italy. Italy is a big one. There's a lot of Italian ESA folks. But yeah, I mean, but. It's okay to call it European Space Agency. That's How are they organized? I mean, who's uh, which entity is it? Because the headquarters is France, you could probably guess that it's some kind of traditional French thing. It's also funny because animation of the nuclear bombs is also done in France, it seems, or for France. You know, the French have their own version of the the nuke. And the French also have their own cartoon, their popular cartoons, just as we have our Disney. And those always seem to go hand in hand. The military is kind of popular entertainment animation and, um, you know, silly ideas about physics through animation and stuff. Gotta hand it to the French. I mean, they're, they're holding the culture together. It's kind of sweet. Yes, uh, I it's strong strong language. <laughs> yeah, they're very proud of it too. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to hand it to them. I mean, some people who doubt NASA's programs say that the Ariane 5 works. They say, "Oh, well, NASA's full of shit, but oh no, not the French rocket. No, like <laughs> this is a beautiful but actually the the French launches look so weird. There's like neon flame coming out and really? it looks it looks oh, like a it looks like a effect from a 1950s let's let's travel with rocket man space astro <laughs> oh, and man. like you know it's so <laughs> odd looking oh where did you see it oh you can just look it on youtube just okay you can find the arian launches they they're very weird oh man it reminds me of the stuff you were talking about with the plumes of the atomic with the various atomic bomb why am I laughing about atomic bomb plumes? Well, because it is silly, oh, isn't it? Like the French plume is long and skinny <laughs> with a big, you know, round head like a mushroom. But like the American one is fat and big and like oh, man. when the when the Chinese one explodes, a gong goes off in the background. Like, <laughs> it's just all very cultural. It's all very part- the science is strangely particular to the culture that's producing it. <laughs> oh, 
each has their own particularities. Oh, sure. Oh, my God. My favorite has got to be the bubbles <laughs> in the Chinese space program. Those are so fun. Oh, my God. When, when the Chinese spacesuits are leaking bubbles, you're like, oh, wow, this is fun. It's pretend. Oh, gosh. Oh, my. So, the dog in the background? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I They're the Barkmasters. They, they will just keep going for hours. Yeah. It appear it's appearing. I've noticed it now in the last two episodes. <clears throat> I'm trying not to be self-conscious, and <laughs> they don't like my voice, and they're barking at me. No, I think they just they just do this all the time. I'm pretty happy with this. I'm happy that we have a mission. We've given ourselves a mission, and that is to go make an observation. Yeah, that'll be good. And we, and in doing so, we'll be keeping it real together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Do you see what I did there? Yeah, I did. I saw it. I've had very few trolls actually give me a good reason to stop. Usually they they say something like, you should should be put in an insane asylum, or you're (laughs) stupid. Or like, you know, it's just like, huh? That's supposed to make me want to quit? That That doesn't even compare to the people that come so thankful and so happy that we've been talking about these things that nobody wants to talk about but actually people do want to talk about them and they don't because maybe they're scared or they've been cowed so you and i both have i think a favorite troll um man yeah we love him so he put he, he posted something up on facebook about uh, in the darkness. I mean, it was kind of poetic and kind of prose-like, but I just it, it broke my heart. It, it it made me angry at first, and then it kind of broke my heart. He talks about uh, in the darkness. There are all these people that are running around excited about a revolution, and they're like little moths going toward the little light of each of these revolutionary ideas. Stay awake just a little bit longer so that you can see. <clears throat> and um, I can't say it the same way that he said it. He said it. He's a good writer. But it was so dispassionate and... Condescending? Condescending and didn't understand that people are really needing something they want a revolution they really are needing some change and not understanding how desperate people are for a change and uh his particular brand of change is going to be through a certain movement 
and that's the only one that matters and uh and he is the one that knows he's the he is the one who has this great intellect and knows and everybody else is you know they're just little moths and i just think it's so sad because there's i don't know where the compassion is i don't think any movement can be successful without compassion not in the, I, not in the long I, term yeah, because it's humanity. Yeah, you have to at least feign it like the Empire does. They pretend to care. You know, that's why they give us these the bread and circuses. Huh. That one, like in the US with the the alt right fascist Christians, they they worry me a lot because there's this uh nobility aspect. The nobility in the analogous elites. Where they really, they really believe that they are, they know, they know the way. It's a superior way, and it's based on, you know, this the Jesus Christ story. But the Jesus Christ story of the the Roman Jesus Christ story. It's not the other story. It's not the disruptive revolutionary. Man, it's a uh, it's tough sledding right now. It's really tough sledding because ultimately that's based in that fear, you know. It's a weird fear. And one thing I love about Kay and you is uh, the fun that you can have and the the joy and the popping of the illusions that are meant to put us in fearful places yes that is something that i think that she and i can both be very thankful for it's what simon inspires people to do is uh, hopefully shed their fear or become aware of its source if they can't get rid of it yeah and wow is that ever powerful it, 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 it makes gift. it less overbearing yeah it's a huge gift to humanity when you can do that. It's a it's a lovely, lovely aesthetic, and it's artistry, and it's living artfully, and in a in a great and in a great way, in a great spirit. That's a high compliment, the highest. Thank you. That's what we can hope for. I think that if we are real artists, we're not the seller artists that enable the imperial mode then that's our job it's to inspire while giving people the equal opportunity equal chance to understand and succeed in the world and it's not about you need to know this falsehood because it's you can't handle the truth and it's better for you to know this falsehood because you know only the what analogous elites you know connected with london or the pope or whatever stupid authority claims its righteousness says you know that they have the real thing and you can't you know you can't own it it's like no like <laughs> we all can and yeah it's everywhere i mean talk about a free energy model it's like 
it's yeah. you can tap it right out of any location at all. Yeah. It's a birthright. It's a part of being alive. It's not this pedigree crap. It's a part of being alive. It's I agree. A, it's, our, it's our shared aliveness. This the shared aliveness that we have with uh with the with the whole world. <clears throat> well, this has been a more inspiring episode maybe than usual. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm a fan of you guys. Well, thanks. We have at least one. Yeah, I admire your work a lot. It aggravates me sometimes only because of uh, the disruptions of my kind of... I like ease. I think human need (laughs) is ease. Uh, You and me both. And uh, Convenience. Convenience is king. Yeah. And so when things become uneasy and my cognitive dissonance kind of disrupts that, it's, you know... It can be kind of jarring and okay. So, yeah, it's okay. It's good for me. I broke my leg. I'll be darned. I don't wish that on anybody, but I've, I've sure learned a lot about legs and walking by having a broken one. Wow. Walk, yeah, walk, that's walking, a good point. Walking's pretty nice. Hey, <laughs> yeah. So, well, um, it's been very nice to talk with you and thanks, boy. and under this. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> and this this context has been fun. And I'll see you soon, and hopefully we get out and take a look at the stars together. Yeah, we'll keep it real together. <laughs> Let's keep it real together. All right. Okay, bye. Love see you. Ya. Love you, too.